Good evening, church. Hope you have your Bibles. We will continue in Colossians chapter 3 tonight. So you can go ahead and turn there, as you probably have already done. Colossians chapter 3. There's a well-known parable that may be helpful for us tonight before we even look into the scriptures. Perhaps you've heard of this before. There's the tale of the captain who was the captain of a ship and he was sailing on a dark, foggy night through the notoriously dangerous waters of the South China Sea. The captain had wisely put out an extra lookout because of the weather and because of the the conditions and then suddenly he was notified that there was a light up ahead. A light out in the distance. So the captain, assuming it was a ship, immediately sent word out over the radio. Alter your course. Alter your course. Ten degrees to the south. Well, promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course. Ten degrees to the north. The captain wasn't used to being argued with, and so he sent a return message. No, alter your course ten degrees to the south. I am the captain. But again, the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. My name is Seaman 3rd Class Jones. Well, now the captain was absolutely furious. He said a third time, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And of course, the return came, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) Before we read our text tonight... I want to remind you, there are times in the Christian life when God's commands do not make much sense to us. There are times, perhaps even a lot of times, where his commands do not seem practical in a life where sin is all around us. But we have to remember that while we are on earth and as we are sojourners and aliens, that we are sailing through the fog. And that God knows the best course for our lives. And so we can trust his word. And there will be a day for those of us who trust in Christ where the fog will clear and we will see and all of his word will make sense. Tonight we direct our attention to one little verse. Colossians 3 verse 18 Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. It is short, it is clear, it is simple, and I am nervous. (laughs) And by the way, I don't want to hear any more amening from men tonight. We can hear amens from women. Men, your time will come. Nine short little words in the Greek... And we all know that it is a verse and words that are loaded down with cultural and worldly baggage. The meaning and the application of this verse, Colossians 3 verse 18, is is one of the most controversial topics, not only in liberal churches, but even in conservative, evangelical churches. And in my pastoral career, I don't think that I've ever had to teach or counsel a more difficult concept than biblical submission. 
Again, this is one of those times where if it was up to me, (laughs) if I just opened up the Bible and picked what to preach, I would never land here, I don't think. And that's why we often preach straight through God's Word. When the Bible speaks of the role of the wife, we need to remember that submission is not her only responsibility. What I'm saying is that the Bible says other things about the wife's role in marriage. And broadly speaking, I think you could boil those down to into three primary directives that are given to the Christian wife. Number one, the wife is to love her husband. The call to love your husband. A second directive, broadly, would be the call to help your husband. And then thirdly, the call to submit to your husband. And this is where our verse, our text for tonight focuses, and this is where we will focus our attention tonight, and as I discovered today, also next week. Because I I really want to be helpful to you. Um, Often in my experience, when I've heard this taught, I've heard it either uh, just taught at such a high level that it's not very practical and not very useful. And so I really, I really want to be uh, as helpful as I can um, as as I try to serve you. And so we've got lots of questions to ask. I mean, what does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Why should they do that? What if he's sinful? What if he's, I know that's what you're thinking, right? What if he's my husband? You don't know my husband. I know that's what you're thinking. How does that work? What if, what if he's sinful? What if he insists that I sin? There's lots of questions in view tonight. And tonight and next week, we will try to start uncovering that. But of course, in chapter 3, verse 18, the verse in front of us here doesn't give us as much information as we might, we might like. And so I think it's helpful if we read the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5 as well. It's a little bit more descriptive. And uh, if you are familiar with Ephesians, a lot of what Paul does in Colossians, there are parallel passages uh, in Ephesians. And I don't normally do this, but I think it's helpful to have both of these verses in view. So Colossians 3.18, we read, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting, as is fitting to the Lord. And then chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 22, we read as follows. Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. Father, we, we really need your help tonight. I need your help and ask that you would guard me from 10,000 dangers and that you, not me, would speak to your people. Lord, I sense that much damage has been done in the name of being biblical in this realm. There's a lot of difficulty in our culture of how to understand this. Lord, sin has clouded our view. Lord, we know that you know all that well. Father, I also know that there are most likely marriages in this room 
or past marriages that have been very hard. I know that some will hear these words tonight as a burden. Perhaps some will be tempted to hear these words tonight as an excuse to sin. And Lord, I pray against all those things. I pray, Father, that tonight you would encourage and help your people. And that you would make clear what I perhaps cannot. And Spirit, that you would apply and impart your word to our hearts. I pray that all who are here tonight, not just wives, that all of us would be edified and encouraged and helped, that we would all be humbled, and that we would all marvel anew at Christ, who submitted perfectly to your will. So help us tonight. Let my words fall to the ground, blow away, and be forgotten. Let only your word remain. Let its applications be right and true, and then let that bear fruit. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, before we go any further, I would like to plant a main idea in your heads. This is for you if you are male or female, single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever it is. I want to, I want to plant this in your head. If you are taking notes, this is what you write at the top of your paper and come back to it when you get lost or sweaty. <laughs> However you're listening, this is the central idea that I want to color everything that you hear tonight. So here's what I want you to hear. Submission is beautiful. Sin disfigures everything. Submission is beautiful. And sin disfigures everything. Now let's be honest. Submission has... Submission in a fallen world is hard for so many different reasons. For one, whenever we're called to submit to other humans, that means that we are called to submit to other sinners. That poses all sorts of problems, doesn't it? Because that means that there's a very good chance that we are going to be sinned against and then have to submit to a person who is sinning against us. Not only that, we ourselves are sinful humans and sinners generally do not like to submit to others. doesn't matter if they're holy or not. That's why submission is hard. Submission is hard because of sin. But this difficulty, perhaps we could call it the difficulty of submission, is not unique to wives. And it is not unique to women, which is why I'm not excusing the men or those who are single or those who are widowed. It is a call by Jesus to all believers. All Christians, including husbands, are called to obey and to submit. They're called to obey and to submit to the God-given leaders that God has sovereignly and wisely placed in their lives. Every single one of us is called to submit, not only to God, but also to humans. Just think of it. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Citizens are called to submit to government officials. That can be a mess, can't it? Church members are called to submit to their church leaders. Employees are called to submit to their employers, as we'll see in a few weeks. Children are called to submit to their parents, and I think we could go on. And the point is this, submission is not only a wife's difficulty, but it is for all of us. 
And so many of these principles overlap. So let me encourage you. Don't tune out if you are a non-wife. I won't be making as many applications to non-wives. Is that a thing? Non-wives? But I trust that, that you can do some of that. And so let me take a quick moment. You see why I need two weeks for this. Let me take a moment to uh, speak to the husbands. Yes, I'm going to primarily be speaking to the wives tonight. But you need to listen and you need to learn as well. There is a lot of application that is available for us. And just quickly, quickly, here are a couple that I thought of, and, and there are more, but I showed some restraint on the length, right? One application is God intends for you, you know, since God intends for marriage to be a display to all of the world, God wants everybody to look on to marriage and see beauty. So you, as an observer, created in God's world, and this is not only for husbands, but I'm speaking especially to husbands, God wants you to look and see beauty. Submission is beautiful. And not only do we need to cultivate it in other areas of our lives, but we need to see it as beautiful for reasons that we'll discuss later. But one reason I can't help myself is when you see this happening in your home, oh, encourage your wife. Encourage her. Encourage her. A second reason that we need to listen well as husbands is so that we can know how to pray. How to pray for and encourage our wives. And if there are husbands and wives in your family that you care for and love, your children, your siblings, your friends, your Sunday school mates... This is a ministry that you can have. We are called to submit. And we know, uh, sorry, as wives, uh, as they are called to submit, we as husbands know that it can be hard to submit. And so as spiritual leaders, we need to pray for and encourage our wives. That is different than demanding submission and, and remind. I don't want to hear any stories of your wife waking up tomorrow with a little verse on it, a little card on her pillow, Colossians 3.18, honey, have a great day, right? We want to be encouragers and we want to be praying for them and we need to learn how to bear with them. As they learn how to submit to sinful husbands, we need to learn to bear with them and encourage them as they grow. We do not need to go home with big chests, armed. I'm telling you guys, <laughs> uh, preaching to women, I have a different tone than when I preach to men, right? Our time is coming. If we have two weeks for the women, we're going to have 20 weeks for the men, right? But we do not need to go home armed with some sort of ammunition. That is a gross response to what is happening tonight. And I am certain that Satan wants to use this text to tempt. He tempted Jesus with Scripture. Do you think he's going to tempt us with Scripture? He's going to tempt you to go home and be a jerk. So let's not do that. This text, this sermon is not intended to help you go home and criticize your wife. And the text, as I've said, is coming for us next week. Another way this is helpful, I'll just say this. Many of us are raising daughters or granddaughters. Okay? So we need this. A fourth reason, a fourth application for men and husbands is, I'll, I'll tell you that for me, one of the effects that this is 
had on me as I've studied this and tried to get my head around this is seeing how God has called my wife to submit to me has had something of a surprising effect, I think. It has motivated me. It's motivated me more to be a blessing to her. I don't, I don't want it to be hard to submit to me. I don't want it to be hard for my wife. I don't want it to be hard for my children. I don't want it to be hard for my church. And I know that there's times where I've made it hard. And I don't want to do that. And so if you're listening tonight and if you're in a role of authority in any way, hear this for all who are in your care. Let's listen prayerfully and humbly. Another final word of introduction to wives. Okay, I'm going to put my, has- my pastor hat on. Okay. Speaking generally as a pastor and a counselor and as an observer of culture, I think that this is an area of biblical teaching that for many Christian women, it has drifted over into the optional category. You may not say that you are unwilling to submit. You may say that you try to submit. You may say that submission is good. But you may still have permitted this to drift over into the optional category. And that's because this is hard to hear. And this is hard to apply. And this is totally countercultural. This, this may offend some of you. God's word may offend, may sinfully offend some of you tonight. And that's wrong. And it is grossly offensive to our culture, even many in the Christian culture. And so there is a great temptation, and I think that this is the case, that it has become functionally optional in many marriages. And it has led to trouble. It's an area where many wives, all wives, need to grow because the command is so lofty. So I'd like to suggest to you, I'd like to present to you, not looking just at Colossians 3.18, but the scope of Scripture, five principles for submission in marriage. As, as it would have it, I will get through two tonight, and I will give mention to the other three, and we will come back to those next week and even have, I pray, I hope, uh, even more practical um, help for you next week. That's my desire. But the first principle for submission in marriage is this. God calls for wives to submit to their husbands. There it is, verse 18, as plain as day. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The sentence is plain, I think. But the meaning, and the meaning particularly in our culture, is not exactly obvious. We have lots of cultural baggage. It's amazing. We view, I was thinking about this today after I was done preparing the sermon, like how we view the call to submit to your husbands as being bad, and we view the call for husbands to love your wives as good. Why is that? That is cultural baggage. And I'll tell you, I have to fight it. Because I felt extra sweaty writing this sermon. And that is because of cultural baggage that we all bring into this. And so we need to be careful, we need to be really careful to define biblically what this means. What does submission in the Bible mean? Well, the word here is strong. It's a strong word. It's a military term. It means to come under rank. 
to come under rank. It is an acknowledgement of authority. It's an acknowledgement and a willing acceptance of a difference in authority. Some of the other words that the Bible uses in close proximity, I think we could call them uh, synonyms. I can't go through all of them tonight, but I think this is helpful. Words like respect. Respect. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, and let the wife be sure to respect, let her see to it that she respects her husband. It's to, it means to revere or to, to show reverence. Now, there's even a stronger word that's used in, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 says wives are to obey, to obey, to submit to and obey their husbands. 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6. So we could provide a definition for submission, a definition that's relevant to all of us, as this. Submission means to place yourself willingly under the authority and direction of a person that God has placed as a leader over you. Submission means to place yourself willingly under the authority and direction of the person whom God has placed as a leader over you. We need to understand this, this concept of submission. We need to understand it in the context of Colossians, which I realize today is very similar to the context of Ephesians, which is why Paul is doing much of the same thing. Remember, think back over the, the whole year as we've been working through these three and a half, two and a half chapters so far. Do you remember what we've been saying? Colossians is all about the glory and the supremacy of Christ. Colossians is about what does it mean for my life practically that Jesus has died and risen from the dead and has been made Lord over all things. What does it mean that what does it mean for me and my home and my marriage and my family and my sex life and my money and in my job that Jesus is Lord? What does that mean? We can remember, we've said it like this, that Christ is above and before all things, 117. And we learn from the big, the big narrative of the Bible, and especially in Colossians and Ephesians, that God's plan for the world, think about it like this, God's plan for the world is to redeem everything that has been broken by sin and to bring everything back under the headship of Christ. That's very Ephesians-esque. But to bring everything back under the headship of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 10 said that God's plan is to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and on earth. Friends, we've got to, got to, got to, got to understand submission in this context. Submission does not make your husband Lord. Submission is in view of Christ as Lord. And husbands, if you think this is an excuse for you to become Lord, get in your place. You're not on the throne. Don't act like it. This is all about God's plan. His plan to order everything under one head. Not your husband, not your pastors, not men in general, not anyone but Christ. So if submission is about willingly placing yourself under 
an authority. The authority that God has wisely and lovingly placed over you, then we can be even more specific for wives. Here's a definition for submission in the context of marriage. For the wife, submission means to please God by discerning and doing what your husband desires you to do unless it would violate your conscience. This is a definition from my mentor, Robert Jones. Submission means to please God by discerning and doing what your husband desires you to do unless it would violate your conscience. We're going to spend the rest of our time trying to unpack this. There's application baked into that definition, which I appreciate. But notice that included in this submission is an acknowledgement of authority. Authority. We can't work through all the implications there. There are some who say, there's some who say that mutual submission uh, in the scriptures give basically undo all this, and I don't. I don't think that's the case, and perhaps we can talk about that later. And let me just say, um, for the for the for the for the women in here, if you hear something tonight that doesn't make sense, I would really appreciate a phone call or an email. That would be really helpful for me. Uh, I will listen to you uh, very carefully, and if you hear something that you wish could be addressed more, I would love that information too. I don't know what it's like to be a wife. Uh, so it would be really helpful for me, and I, I hope that that would serve uh, the other ladies as well. So I welcome that. Um, let's think about for a moment what submission doesn't mean. We'll probably go into this more next week, and I've been resisting the urge all the way through here to, to stop and to go through a big list of what it doesn't mean. Um, but I want to point out a big one. And husbands, you can listen to me very carefully here as well. Submission does not mean inferiority. Submission does not mean inferiority. It does not mean that your wife is a second-class citizen or less intelligent. It does not mean that she's inferior in her worth or in her potential contribution or in anything. In fact, it is quite the contrary. And one of the things that we'll see is that one of the whole reasons, according to Genesis 2, one of the reasons God made women is because <laughs> is to help men. Have you ever thought of that? I was laughing out loud in my office today as I thought about this, right? Um, it's not that men are so great that wives come in submission, but part of it is that we are needy. We need help. Women are made in part as helpers, right? Adam needed a helpmate. <laughs> so uh, get off your, get your big head out of here, right? Submission does not mean inferiority. And another way that we know this, and this is better than my first point, is because Jesus submitted. This is not the task of the, of the lowly, weak, subservient. It's not, it's not like that. In fact, when the Bible said, when the New Testament said that Jesus submitted to his parents, guess what word it uses? The exact same word. Jesus submitted to his parents. Jesus submitted to his heavenly father. Jesus submitted even to corrupt Roman government. Submission cannot mean inferiority because I'll tell you what, Jesus was not inferior to Pilate or Rome. And Jesus is not inferior to the Father. It's because submission is beautiful. So Jesus submitted. 
Even though our experience of submission is dramatically affected by the fall, we must also recognize it is not the result of the fall. There are many or some who claim that submission is a consequence or a result of the fall. And I think it's helpful to think about this. In Genesis chapter 2, right? I know we can't look at all this in detail. But in Genesis chapter 2, in the pre-fall part of the narrative, there are a number of indications for us that submission was a part of God's initial good creation. As I mentioned, one of those is that God created Eve to be a helper. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper does not mean inferior or less important at all. In fact, and I hope this helps you, encourages you, did you know the Old Testament uses that exact same word, helper, to describe God? Dozens of examples. Here's one. Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. God is not inferior to you. You need a smack, right? To be a helper is not inferior. Another reason is Genesis chapter 3. Right, which is describing the concept, the, the, it describes the fall and particularly the effects and consequences of the fall, specifically say that now because of sin, submission is going to be very hard. It is, uh, there's only a few details about the curse and the fall that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, and this very topic is included on both the male and the female side. Listen to Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, God, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I think that that, that is describing trouble on both sides of the marriage equation. The key takeaway here is that submission is beautiful. It is part of God's original and very good created order. God is very good at creating. He totally understands how the world should work, how relationships should work, how marriage should work, and how women should work, and how men should work. He gets all that. I don't care, I don't care what the books on Amazon say. God understands that, and we can trust him. Submission and helping does not mean inferiority, and it is not a result of sin. Okay? So now let's see if we can hear this definition of submission for wives as being more beautiful and not burdensome. Submission means to please God by discerning and doing what your husband desires you to do unless it would violate your conscience. Okay, so just already, there's a lot we can learn here. If God has designed the family like this, there's much we can learn. Because one thing we can say is that this is at least part of God's way to maintain order and function in the home. To maintain order and function in the home. God has created and designed the family. He's established it with order and unity. And this is God's pattern. Okay? First Corinthians 14 talks about this in a fair amount of detail. Describing that God is not a God of disorder. But rather he is a God of order. Order. 
And it goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that all things should be done decently and in order. So there's an order to the home and to the family. Now as a counselor, this is really helpful for me. Right? If you care about helping people with marriage problems, and just so you know, folks, marriage is hard and there are a lot of people struggling. It's hard. It's hard. So we need to be, we need to have our eyes open and our ears open and we need to love and listen and encourage one another. Okay? But one of the things that we can learn is that whenever we see disorder and turmoil in a home, Whether that's my home or whether that's someone else's home, one of the first questions that we can ask lovingly is, are they functioning in an orderly way? That includes both men and women, the husband and the wife, but we can ask, are they functioning in an orderly way? Because if they are, it would be hard to understand how the disorder and chaos would be there. It would be from another source. Are they functioning according to the order that God has established in the home? No one, I can say this with tremendous confidence, no one in the history of the world has ever outsmarted God. There's been some pitiful attempts, and there continue to be. Have you read Revelation, right? Our modification to God's plan is vandalism. It's not home improvement. It's vandalism. And it will always it will eventually lead to problems and disorder. But let's consider a second point on this. God calls for wives, so this is point two, principle number two. God calls for wives to submit to their husbands from the heart. From the heart. With a submissive attitude. Now, I often have the opportunity to talk with wives, to talk with ladies, that are in very hard marriages. And my heart breaks for them. And often, not all the time, but often they will say, I, you know, they're seeking to submit to their husbands. I mean, they're trying, this is something they're trying to do and, and it's on the radar and they're thinking about it. But as we really boil down, as we really get into the weeds there, Sometimes they realize that they are submitting primarily in deed and not in their hearts. That it's an outward sort of behavior, uh, even if, if that's even the case, but it is not an attitude. It's not a posture of the heart. It is incredibly tempting. It is tempting for me as I'm trying to walk through suffering with these folks to not try to bail them out because it's hard, right? It is very tempting, especially when you're married to a fool or when you disagree or when your husband is sinning. It is very tempting to just feign submission if submission is even on the radar at all. It's very tempting. In your heart, you're screaming, I hate this. I hate this. This is stupid. He is stupid. There's no way that I'm doing this. There's no way. Yet submission that honors God is sincere. It is sincere. All right, we all know how to sniff out a fraud when it comes to behavior. I mean, just think about children. Right? Think, about, think about our teenagers for a moment. Right? We all know that grumpy obedience. Right? That obedient. Have you seen that? Right? Take out the trash. I told Roman this the other day, and he just looked at me. <laughs> ah, 
take out the trash and they grab the trash can, or the tra tra maybe the trash can, the trash bag, slam the door, stomp their feet, huff and puff, throw the trash bag like six feet away from the trash can and then come back and say, what, I took out the trash, right? I mean, is that obedience? Well, did the trash get taken out? Yes, that's your teenager's argument. But we all know that's not obedience. It is insincere. It is, it is disrespectful. They're obeying, but they're not obeying, right? We know that, and they know that. Because their obedience is insincere. And why is the same is true in marriage? Perhaps this is the best understood when we add in this concept of respect from Ephesians 5. Respect. Wives, see to it that you respect your husbands, right? Respect is an attitude. It's a posture of the heart, right? It's a posture of the heart. It's very, it's very easy to see how respect is more heart-centered, right? You, and you may think that you're submitting to your husband indeed, but if your heart's not in it, you're not respecting and you're not submitting. And so let's think about this for a minute. As a helper, do you think that is helpful or hurtful to him? I mean, do you think God is fooled? Do you think your, hu I mean, your hu husband may be fooled? He's probably not fooled. Right? Don't you think he can pick up on that? And, and do you think that honors the Lord? So, so let, let me encourage you. As you seek to honor the Lord in your submission, ask the Lord, especially when it's hard, which like might be all the time. <laughs> ask the Lord for help. Help me do this with sincerity. Ask God to help you cultivate a submissive attitude, a submissive posture of the heart. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 is another really helpful passage here because it, it speaks of a certain type of wife. It speaks of a woman who's different than most other women, a certain type of wife that adorns herself. Isn't that a beautiful word? Adorns. She adorns herself not with the new hairstyle, not with, you know, essential oils or, or whatever cosmetics or the thing now. There are, she is adorning herself not exteriorly, but the inner self. The scriptures say this. She adorns herself the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What a beautiful picture. Wives, do you want to be that kind of woman to, uh, to, th where the hidden person of the heart is adorned with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Oh, there's a lot of motivation that can flow from that text. A lot of help and a lot of hope in your hard marriage. Which means, one of the things this means is that submission has to flow. If it is beautiful, it has to flow out of a heart that is sincere. It cannot be faked. Practically, I'm going to try to be practical here. One of the things this means is that you are sincerely or significantly, you are actually committed to knowing your husband. Like you're sincerely committed to knowing and understanding your husband. You will make efforts to get to know and then honor his heart. Even if it's not the greatest, <laughs> which it won't be. 
to make efforts, to plan, to strategize. It means to come alongside him and even align yourself with his joys and with his desires and to take on his burdens. Now that is very different than what I think is often our attitudes. What is the minimum I can get away with? What is the minimum amount of submission that I can get away with? And yet the scriptures paint a totally different picture. And God is calling us to a totally different type of life. Wives, God is calling you to seek out and to try to discern your husband's desires. That can be pretty hard, can it? Is not a desire. (laughs) Have you ever gotten, y'all looking at me like you don't, never mind. To seek out and try to discern your husband's desires, even if he doesn't communicate them. That can be hard. Part of your role is to figure out what he desires and then work as you love him to, to meet those. Now, at risk of opening a can of worms, I, I, hope, I hope you're hearing, well, I hope this is helpful and not distracting, but there's a very popular book among Christian circles called His Needs, Her Needs. And the first thing I want to do is change the title because that's a terrible title because it, it presents... Anyways, I'm going to get really off on this. Let's just change the title, right, to His Desires, okay? And it talks about her desires too, but we're, we're talking about this part, right? Because there's a helpful, mildly helpful, don't buy the book. There's just a mildly helpful section in that book where, where this guy surveys what women or what men desire. <laughs> Wouldn't this be fun on Family Feud? What does a husband desire, right? Take a guess, right? The five, uh, the five things that, that came out here, and, all right, these are, and, and these are not needs. God did not create your husband to need these things as if he will die if he does not get them, okay? So, so we're not using need language, desire. So if you're thinking about how can I, where can I start, right? Help me, pastor. Where can I start to understand my husband because all he thinks about is football and cheese whiz, right? Help me think about this for a second. Well, this is, this is what Harley suggests and it's perhaps helpful. Number one, take a guess, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. You can help your husband in this way. Number three, physical attractiveness. Number four, domestic support. And number five, admiration. Now, I'm not saying these are your husband's uh, desires, and I'm not saying that they're everyone's or they should be. I'm not saying that. I'm, not, I'm just saying it might get you started, right? But I think it'd be helpful to ask a question, for, for women to ask, for wives to ask, how can I know... If I'm respecting my husband, how can I know if I'm submitting to him? How can I know if this is from the heart? Well, author and speaker and counselor Martha Peace, she gives some suggestions on how you can ask that. So let me just list a few of these questions. Perhaps they'll be helpful for you. Wives, do you ever speak to your husband in a condescending manner? You ever talk down to him? Another question would be, do you treat your husband in private as respectfully as you would your pastor, your father, or your neighbor in public? Do you treat him respectfully even in private? Another question. Do you ever talk for or interrupt your husband? Another question. Do you inappropriately contradict him or disagree with him in front of other people? I think this is a huge one, especially in front of 
your kids? Do you ever contradict him or disagree with him publicly? Another question, do you ever bring up his failures to other people or his shortcomings? Another question, does your countenance, your body language, does it show respect? Right? Looks of disgust, rolling the eyes, huffing and puffing, staring at the ceiling, right? We know that that does not communicate joyful submission. A final question, and I'll skip the others. Do you respect his request when he asks you, even if it doesn't seem very important to you? There's some ways to get you started. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, it's not this simple. You clearly do not know my husband. All he thinks about is sex, football, tractors, and bacon. Or perhaps, in your case, the issues are more serious. Your husband might be wrecking the home budget. He might be running up credit card debt. He might be wasting your savings. I've seen this. Or he might be screaming at the kids. Or he might be a lazy bum. That's the biblical word, bum. Or it might even be worse than that. Your husband might be a liar and a cheater. You might have completely lost your trust. Or it could be even worse than that. Your husband may be insisting that you do sinful things. He may want you to watch pornography together. He may want you to help him commit tax fraud. Or he may forbid you from going to church. Or he may forbid you from talking with your kids about church. How in the world do you submit to a man like this? Surely, all the biblical teaching on submission does not apply in cases like this. Surely, there's like a big exception clause that we don't have to submit to these kind of men. Well, these are real concerns, and I hope, I hope that you hear me saying these are real, and they are significant, and they should be taken seriously in your marriage, and they need to be taken significantly by us as a church. And when we hear about stuff that's going on, we need to work to protect and care for women who are in these kinds of situations, to love and to call to repentance and to provide counsel. These are real concerns. And I hate to do this to you, but we're going to pick up on a lot of those next week. I don't, I can't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to rush through this and just leave you with a bunch of un, unclear principles. So we're going to work through some of this more next week. But how do you submit in all this? And since many of us are going to go home tonight, many of you wives are going to go home tonight to real husbands that are, let's just say, not exactly Jesus, let me just give you the quick preview of the main principles that are, that are coming. We're going to dive into this more next week, Lord willing. The third principle, which we'll do next week, is that God calls wives to submit to their husbands even if he is unsaved and even if he is sinning. Even if he's unsaved, or even if he is sinning. Principle number four is God calls wives to submit to their husbands in everything except sinful things. In everything except sinful things. But before we close, and just bear with me, I, I do want to go ahead and mention this fifth principle and try to wrap it up with, with some of this. The fifth principle is that God calls for wives to submit to their husband as an act of 
of worship. As an act of worship. Do you remember the big picture of submission is that it is an act of worship. It's not based on the worthiness of your husband. You do not wait till he's at a certain level of maturity or character and then start submitting to him. That's not how it works. Submission is not based on his worthiness and it's not based on the wisdom of his decisions. Your husband may not be particularly worthy and he may be an absolute fool. Instead, submission is based on the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why in Colossians 3.18, the scriptures say, Submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord, or as unto the Lord. When you submit to your husband, especially when it is hard, you are bringing glory and honor to Jesus, even if no one else sees it. Because when you submit to the Lord... By submitting to your husband, do you know what you're doing? You're trusting Christ. You're trusting Christ. Remember that when you willingly submit to your husband, there's a sense, and this is what is so terrifying, that you are giving up control. That is horrifying for anybody, right? You're giving up control, and that is true. But here's the thing. You are not giving your husband control. God is in control. And so when you submit to your husband, you are submitting the most intimate and the most private and the most treasured and the most vulnerable parts of your life to God. And unlike your husband, God can be perfectly trusted all the time, even in the dark. Submitting to your husband is an act of transferring control from yourself to the Lord as you obey in 1 Peter chapter 4, there's so much help here for you and for us. 1 Peter 2, 3, and 4, but it says, Let those who suffer according to the Lord's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Remember, friends, that when you do this, when you obey when it's hard and when you obey when he's sinning, you are in good company. You bring glory to Christ because you're following his example. Remember, listen, bear with me. I know I'm a few minutes late. Just listen. The scriptures say, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but entrusted himself. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus submitted to the cross, when he submitted to the Father, granted, he was not submitting to another sinner. The Father is not sinning. But man was it hard. And man, did Jesus suffer unjustly. But look how beautiful an outcome came from the willful submission of Jesus Christ. Remember what I said at the beginning. Submission is beautiful and sin disfigures everything. Well, let me add to that. Submission is beautiful and sin does disfigure everything. But Christ is making all things new. And we live in that reality and we live according to that hope. And so we can trust him while we wait in the dark. 
Let me send you off with a word of prayer. Oh God, would you please fill in the gaps. Comfort those who are weary, scared, and sad. And Father, would you help us to please you more as we trust you. We ask this in your name. Amen. You dismiss church. Go in peace.